0: It turned out that most finance teams didn't really end up using the, this style of kind of machine learning or AI forecasting because it doesn't really it doesn't really give you anything actionable. You know, it might tell you, hey, you know, revenue is going to be some certain number next quarter or next uh, next month, or you know, sales might be this, um, but it doesn't actually tell you, okay, what do you need to do in the business in order to get that.
1: Hello and welcome to Tech for Finance, where we help finance professionals leverage technology to level up their lives. I'm your host, Adam Shulton, and in this episode, we're going to be chatting with Tamer Abdal, CEO and co-founder of Causal, a modeling platform that helps you automate everything from financial models to headcount planning. Tamer has a degree in mathematics and statistics from Oxford, and after a short period working as a data scientist, he co-founded Causal in 2019, which has now raised $25 million from investors like Excel, Co2, Passion Capital, Naval, Rabacant, and others. In his spare time, Tamer enjoys playing the piano, playing badminton, and exploring the London food scene. If you like what you hear today, please make sure you do subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform or on YouTube. But thanks for joining me today, Tamer. It's great to have you on. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks so much. Not a problem. So we'll we'll kick things off and I'll I'll ask you the question that everybody's probably asked you already. So data science, modeling, do you just want to very quickly talk us through what that transition looked like and how you've ended up where you are today?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think it kind of started when I was a teenager. Um, I was I was pretty into computers and kind of just discovering the internet in general. Um, started off uh, more on the design design side of things, so messing around in Photoshop and making graphics and graphic design and logos and things like that. Uh, and then eventually, uh, you yeah, know, learning some basic coding like web stuff like HTML and JavaScript and and, uh, and, and that side of things. Uh, and I think from a pretty young age, I always wanted to. Run my own business, start my own company. Uh, and so I was always sort of trying to think of ideas and building projects and apps and, and websites. And so when I um, when I was at university, continued doing that stuff. That's where I met uh, Lucas, my co-founder. We worked on lots of site projects and we'd always planned uh, on, on starting a company together. Um, we didn't have any sort of particular ideas we were uh, really interested in by the time we graduated. And so we both ended up uh, working for a year or two um, as, uh, as you mentioned, I was a data scientist at a couple of different startups, um, and that was really uh, my, my first exposure to the kinds of stuff that companies uh, do in spreadsheets. And so uh, I was working at this company, uh, Nested. It was a startup in London. Uh, there were about 80 people at the time. Uh, they had a finance team and, you know, obviously like most finance teams, they were doing a lot of stuff in Excel uh, and in Google Sheets. Uh, and they had a lot of the sort of typical uh, challenges that people have with spreadsheets, right? You know, spreadsheets are amazing and that they're so flexible, you can do pretty much anything in them. Um, but there's a lot of tricky pieces from getting data in from different systems to the actual formulas and uh, errors and syntax and, and that kind of stuff uh, to then kind of presenting stuff with people, communicating uh, sharing uh, and so you know from seeing some of those problems that the finance team at Nested had uh, with their spreadsheet financial models, that's kind of what got me and Lucas, my co-founder, uh, thinking about hey, what would a what would a better modeling tool look like? Why hasn't someone uh, you know tried to build a uh, a better modeling tool than a spreadsheet. Yeah, a spreadsheet's been around a long time. Uh, and so that's what we're really trying to do with Causal, um, trying to build a very general tool for modeling, you know, calculations, data visualization, things like that, uh, a bit like a spreadsheet in that sense. Um, but we're not interested in uh, a lot of the other things you might use a spreadsheet for, uh, for example, managing some business process or tracking your uh, I don't, grocery lists and you know, all, all the other kind of stuff you might do. Very
1: good. Thanks for that. And what do you what do you think the threshold is then? So and, and I wholeheartedly agree, you know, finance especially, you know, we, we love spreadsheets, right? You know, yeah. Um it's is the go-to. Somebody asks you something, right? Well, I need to do my calculations, I'll I'll open a, a spreadsheet, right? Mm. And we're getting to the point now where, and again, it's not it's not in the same league as as what you guys can do, but <clears throat> spreadsheet add-ons, um, I think there's even a forecast button Excel now as well, as mm. as well as the other day. So I guess if we were looking at this in, in terms of levels, you know, entry level is, you know, I, I guess a basic model um, that doesn't really have many variables in it, right? Maybe build on a the spreadsheet. Then maybe next level is, you know, I've got a plugin that's gonna enable me to do X, Y, and Z. Mm. Uh, what in terms of your thinking, what do you think is, is that sort of crossover between sort of entry level and the point where they might have more of a dedicated tool if that makes sense.
0: Yeah 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 I think that that's a really good way to think about it. I think a, cu- a couple of the sort of points at which we typically see people considering moving away from spreadsheets or where I think it's worth considering is firstly if you're if you need to build something uh, that you need to reuse on a recurring basis. So uh, you know you might need to whip together a quick ad hoc model for uh, you know some some business thing that you're trying to do. Um, you, you might just need that model tomorrow and then you're not going to look at it again. If you're, if you're pretty adept in Excel, Google sheets, you're, you're fine to do that in Google sheets or Excel. It'll take you a couple of hours. It'll be done You'll move on. If, however, you need to build something that you're going to be coming back to on a regular basis, maybe every month you want to. Update some numbers from your data source, or uh, maybe once a quarter you want to run scenarios, or maybe you want to share outputs every single week uh, as the numbers are updating. I think that's when uh, the fact that spreadsheets are so manual it really starts to add up, um, and you know that sort of one or two days a month of pulling data from different places, um, you know, really starts to become a time sink. And that's where it's worth considering: okay, are there tools that can automate some of this manual stuff so that on a recurring basis I'm not having to spend a bunch of time maintaining um, this spreadsheet? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And <clears throat> I guess there's, there's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? So, <clears throat> apologies. Two kids keeping you up all night and <laughs> voice and.
0: pocket. Well,
1: I'm so sorry about that. Um, there's two ways of looking at it. So, so obviously, the, the point that you've addressed is the time saving piece, right? You know, I don't really want to have to build from scratch every time I'm, you know, working through a new scenario or we'll have to. Right, right. It. I guess there's the other side and it's kind of links to some of the stuff that you've been posting about recently when we talk about data storytelling, right? Mm. Because I think we're now moving to the the point where decisions need to be made quicker. And I don't know whether you're seeing this as, as well, but um, some of the previous conversations we've had, you know, some of the advantages of having stuff that's a little bit more live. actually, mm. yeah. It's quite useful. So instead of going away and thinking, right, well, you know, let's have a thing. Let's, you know, build a few more spreadsheets or go through a few models that could take us days or weeks in in the room. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering whether you could speak a little bit more around what you consider to be, I guess, good data storytelling. Mm. Um, And the second part of that is for me, and and, and I don't know whether I'm speaking for others, I really struggle not so much with the story piece and, and the presentation piece, but on the, what's the focus? Because it's sometimes difficult, and of course, you've got background in, in mathematics and statistics and this sort of stuff. You know, how do you find the data that tells the story? You know, yeah. how do you prioritize what is good data versus bad data? So yeah, yeah. Speak around that a bit.
0: Yeah, I think um, yeah, data storytelling is kind of super interesting, and uh, I, I, I guess it's not really positioned that way, but it's a lot of what finance teams are doing. Uh, it's it's telling stories with the different data from around the business, whether that's financial data uh or more operational data. Um I think some of the some of I think probably the most important thing um that we that we see when working with sort of our customers and even internally uh when kind of trying to make decisions using our own data is just having really deep sort of domain expertise in whatever whatever it is that you're looking at. So you know if you're on the finance team of a company, just really understanding the company in a lot of detail, like exactly how it works, what the different teams are doing, how you know how data is being collected into different systems. You know, is is it being manually filled in somewhere and then dumped into some thing? Is this coming from like the CRM? I think I think the thing that's indispensable when working with data and then having to present it or tell stories off the back of it is actually under, understanding that data really deeply. Um, I think once you have that understanding, you then kind of know. Oh, okay this is you know that that tool or that uh, system might be a good place to start go see going to see okay, what what do we have in there what does that data look like or you might know that oh actually that stuff is is not very reliable right now we had some issue with that like you know with the crm last month so i can't actually go there for, for that data and so i think um yeah i think domain knowledge very very uh you know hard to overstate just just how important it is to sort of and understand exactly how the business works, understand how that data was collected before you even get to the point of then, uh, starting to, uh, starting to explore it. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think as well, it's the, it's also known what, what questions to ask, right. Um, because you, as much as finance, you know, they, they get kind of the or- honorary position of being responsible for all company data, you know, right? right yeah. So, you know, other people do have you know different responsibilities and not, it's not purely down to finance to manage the data right so yeah. asking good questions and and I'm seeing a bit of a trend with this at the moment because again we can speak about it a bit later if you like but say AI is the the hot topic right now right
0: yeah of course yeah, yeah
1: and, and people are getting a bit bit panicky um and a bit overwhelmed I personally was very overwhelmed earlier on this kind <laughs> of make sense of everything it? yeah it's, that's crazy yeah people were just because of the, the pace of it right but people are now thinking, right? well, what what skills do I build? You know, yeah. if, if there's not a lot of point in me developing those low-level hard skills anymore, where, where am right. I? My time. So we're seeing more of a shift to, you know, business partnering, whereby, you know, finance are kind of breaking out of finance. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they go work somewhere else or work for a different department. It just means that they become better partners. Mm. I guess tying to your point there about finding the data, making sure that you've got that domain expertise. The way that you're going to get that is by asking questions from your peers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Some businesses do it well, some people don't. But if you're not doing it, then my recommendation is that you just go out your way to ask good mm-hmm. questions. You know, yeah. yeah. you agree with that or not.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, yeah, any anytime you are sort of visualizing data or yeah. Anytime you're working with data, you're kind of looking at it through the lens of whatever questions you're asking. Uh, and so getting those questions right is really important. And I think that's where finance can actually add a lot of value um, where I think the uh, the the other team, sales teams, marketing teams, the other teams that finance works with, they're often uh, you know pretty stuck in the weeds. They're kind of very deep into what they're doing. They might not have context around what's going on in the rest of the business. And so finance has that kind of full picture of all the different teams in the business, and they can take a bit more of a step back than probably the people who are doing those jobs day-to-day. Um, and by asking those right questions, they can kind of guide guide each team um, to kind of making decisions based on uh, all of that extra context.
1: Mm. And then I guess expanding that a little bit. So, you know, we've got data, you know, whether it be from an HR system, a CRM system and finance. So we can, we can combine that all together, right. You know, whether it's yep. you know, in very well presented spreadsheets or a dedicated tool, you know, yep. we, we then need to start thinking about, right. Well, if we are doing modeling and we are doing that forecasting and, and looking at that, that future vision, how, how are we going to go about that? So there's a, there's a couple of things, um, and uh, you might tell me off because you've probably got more more experience in this than <laughs> I But there's there's a couple of things that I've been playing around with personally hmm. um, because I I try and provide insight where I can at sort of the the lower level to begin with. You know, yeah. sort of finding their feet. So Google Sheets plugins, you know, there's there's a load available. Um, the guy at TensorFlow did a, a plugin called a Simple ML for sure. Right. Um, and and mm-hmm. basically, it's, it's dead simple. You know, you've got your date range in one column, and then you've got your values against those date ranges. But the dates continue, and then you click a button and say, predict what the yeah. dates are going to be. Simple, mm-hmm.
0: simple. Yeah, yeah.
1: And you've got some basic machine learning algorithms in there. There's there's maybe a couple, um, and then you can you know apply seasonality if it works. Doesn't always work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seasonality. So that's one example, and then another one, and we'll get into this conversation in a second because it's, it's something else that we really want to ask you about um, is the likes of Notable, which is essentially a kind of a user-friendly uh, Jupiter notebook that will help you, you know, build visualizations from your data. Yeah, yeah. Connected to ChatGPT right now, so you yeah. know, so, uh, here's data, and again, it'd be in a spreadsheet that you upload and say, look, you know, can you give me some visualizations? But you can also tell it to build in those additional machine learning parameters to say, right. Yeah. Just bothered about analyzing the data as it is. Can you give me at least a basic representation of what that that looks like over time? Not for you, sorry, it's a a long way up, isn't it? Is assuming we've got good data, be it from finance or different departments, what's the next level? So is it just a case of being able to say, right, well, I'm going to overlay machine learning algorithms Mm -hmm how important is seasonality you know are there any other external factors whether it's i mean we've had examples of weather data previously for yeah, yeah. that sort of stuff so what what are you seeing there what are you seeing in terms of variables and the things that make forecasts better
0: yeah um yeah i think the the sort of machine learning and ai approaches to forecasting are, are pretty interesting because i think so far i think until now until sort of llms and the current generation of uh, I guess we're calling it AI now, whereas previously we called it machine learning because it, it was sort of <laughs> at a different level. I, I think the, the the previous sort of generation of machine learning models that people used, uh, they were kind of you know, regression models where you have this kind of structured data set. Uh, the machine learning algorithm figures out some patterns. Mm-hmm. It can maybe incorporate other pieces of things that you include in that data set, like seasonality and so on. And then it spits out a number. Um, I think we... It 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 turned out that most finance teams didn't really end up using these uh, this style of kind of machine learning or AI forecasting um, because it doesn't really tell you it doesn't really give you anything actionable. You know, it might tell you, hey, revenue is going to be sort of some certain number next quarter or next uh, next month, or you know, sales might be this, um, but it doesn't actually tell you, okay, what do you need to do in the business in order to get there? You know, it wouldn't be able to tell you, hey revenue is going to be this much because you need to go and hire like three more salespeople and you need to spend, you know, X amount on marketing across these channels. Um, I think those, um, yeah, the the old generation of machine learning algorithms, um, they were very sort of narrow in terms of the data that they can look at and interpret. I think, um, and and so, yeah, basically, we don't really see many finance teams using them for forecasting. Um, Forecasts are kind of much more, you call it manual, but kind of built by the finance team based on understanding of how the business operates. And so, you know, to get to some revenue, that happens because something changes in the business, whether it's hiring, whether it's sales and marketing spend, etc. Um, I think we, we haven't really seen. Uh, it's very early to see what will come out of LLMs, um, but I think the new generation of AI uh, models does actually have the uh, the sort of opportunity to be able to go uh, have context on the much wider business where. You can kind of feed in, you know, maybe like a whole 20 tab spreadsheet that includes like hiring plans, it includes like models for each team, et cetera. And so it could actually, in theory, be able to tell you, hey, if you hire these people and if you do X, Y, and Z, then revenue will be this amount. And like that's one strategy, or it might come up with another strategy. And so I think we haven't really seen what that could, what that looks like yet. I think probably in the next couple of years, we'll start to see, uh, you know, this kind of stuff built into spreadsheets, tools like causal and and, and other planning tools, um, and so I think I, I'm I'm pretty bullish on AI now being applied to forecasting and and modeling, where the previous generation of uh, algorithms just kind of wasn't wasn't the right fit for it.
1: Yeah, and the, the 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 trick is in the is in the the way that you train the model, though, right? So so again, as a refresher for people that haven't been part of conversations before, LLM is a large language model. It's what ChatGPT is built on, right? You know, vast amount of data, but when you interact with ChatGPT on a on a basic level, OpenAI have trained that large language model to interact well with you through a chat interface. Yeah, that's that's the way it works what we're now seeing is the evolution of, of finance tools that are training the models better. So that you ask them a question, it's more likely to come back with a finance related response than it is with just a generic response. You know, so we, we've, we've had this whole sort of proliferation of advanced prompts and prompt recommendations and all that sort of going around the internet. Mm-hmm. So down to the fact that if you ask a rubbish prompt to chat GPT out the box, it's going to give any number of variables out of it. Yeah. I think, there are already companies that are creating like FinChat, you know, and all of these sorts of, um, you know, narrower applications of that large language model. But I think you're right; I think it's going to be very interesting from a from a forecasting perspective where where they get to because it's not just about you know how do we train the large language model so it is good at creating forecasting recommendations. It's also how do we train it so it's good at the forecasting, but then also good at understanding the data yeah. that it's, it's built on. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a lot of work. Um, it's exciting. Hmm. Of
0: course
1: it's exciting. Um, yeah. But Tricky, I don't envy your job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're definitely, uh, we started thinking about how we might be able to embed some LLM magic into causal and kind of, at what layer of the product we want to try and uh, insert that. And I, th- I think there's a lot of kind of low hanging fruits of just making very manual stuff, very easy. So things like writing SQL queries, or, you know, if you have some big model uh, just being able to ask a question, like, you know, what was, you know, revenue in this month for, you know, for this product, uh, you know, filtered by whatever that might otherwise require like a bunch of different clicks or it might require knowing SQL and, and things like that. So I, I think and the low hanging fruits, uh, will kind of become a commodity where I think in a few years' time, you'll kind of expect in most products that you won't have to do manual things like write SQL queries, and you won't have to do a ton of configuration to make a chart. You can just describe the chart, and um, it'll create it based on the data. Um, yeah, I think I think this more kind of ambitious, uh, you know, reasoning and forecasting based on, like, actual reasoning and actual logic. Um, have, I haven't seen what that'll look like yet, uh, but it's definitely something we're thinking about.
1: Yeah, because it, it kind of ties to the external data piece, doesn't it? Because, uh, you know, there, there are some modeling tools it. And again, I'm, I'm not a causal pro, so I don't know whether you guys are doing it yet. Sure, it, so. uh, yeah. You know, has the ability to add a variable that says, you know, what if, you know, there was a flood in six months' time. Right, if, Yeah. Like, recession or you know another pandemic or something like that you know it's yeah. like data that it's outside just core cool data it's that that as i say con- contextual data there and i think it is going to be a while and again i'm happy to be proven wrong because yeah. if technology has said anything in the past six months it's been proving a lot of people wrong right but yeah i had a very interesting chat with, the, with a guy called chris Riley a few po- podcasts ago and, and he does a lot around um advising in terms of financial modeling and, and consulting right. And we we had a similar conversation, and I posed to him, right? Well, you know, what does what does a human based activity look like versus a machine based activity? Mm, and yeah, the words were essentially, you know, he doesn't think that he, that machines are going to replace human gut feel and um, you know that that experience anytime soon, yeah, because yeah in in theory, like when you look at stock, stock markets and financial and, and all that sort of stuff then, then there's a theory to say you know you can build an algorithm that's going to predict trends and and all of that sort of stuff again, not mm-hmm. necessarily that I suppose in theory there's there's an argument that says that a model could be trained on any number of you know weather variables or any external yeah. but I think in the short term it's still going to require a human to say, right well, we've done the best that we absolutely can with the technology in the AI yeah. We now need to make the decision of what we actually think is going to happen, right?
0: Yeah. 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 I think ultimately, I think that the thing that is missing with AIs is just any kind of accountability, right? <laughs> you know, if you're if you're the finance team, it won't be good enough to say, well, hey, well, we, we did that because the AI sets, <laughs> right? Like ultimately <laughs> you, you are accountable. And, and so um yeah i, th- I think that's going to be the challenge and ai always has to be the tool there but a human is ultimately the person who is making the final call making the decision and is accountable for whatever happens after that
1: yeah yeah. i, I have been using ai to run some scenarios though oh yeah um and it's it's, it's the prompt's too long and and maybe <laughs> share, share it with you the other day but it's, it's kind of decision fatigue is a real thing right you know um Everybody's got too many decisions to make. You right. know, and at the end of the day, when you're absolutely exhausted and you think, am, am I really gonna have to decide on something else? You can use AI as a sounding board, you know. Mm-hmm. You can use people as well, right? You know, but but there's an argument that says that AI might be more objective, even though maybe there's a bias there. I don't we don't need to get yeah, into that yeah. discussion. Um, but I just ran through look, I said, look, you know, here's the current staff, you yeah. know, here's their skill set, here's their responsibilities. Yeah. We're thinking about doing this. You know, we're thinking about hiring people with these skills. Yeah. You know, these are the people that are leaving. These are the challenges that we got. And it was it was like an it was like an A4 page prompt. And I and I looked at this and I thought, I'm gonna get garbage out of the back. Yeah, there's there's no way it's gonna understand this. Yeah, <laughs> it did because it it's obviously PPT4, right? You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. um the, the the most intelligent um, that we've got so far, right? Yeah, and it actually came back with some pretty credible scenarios be, oh, really? because I said to it, um, give me five scenarios. Mm. It wasn't just a blanket, what would you do in this situation? Uh, That's not going to be useful, right? Mm. But I said, based on the information above, give me five different scenarios for how you would look to hire and solve these challenges. Okay. And it gave five, and we ended up going with one of them. Yeah. It was kind of the decision that we'd already made. You see what I mean? So that human human element was still there. Yeah. But it was good to have that validation to say look you know you've got five different scenarios here based yeah. on logic rather than emotion because that's, that's yeah what it's doing right it's working not right. emotion so to have a logic-based sounding board as opposed yeah. to mm-hmm. you know because because as, as you know you know you'll have some some people in your business that are endlessly enthusiastic and positive oh yeah you should yeah. Yeah. do that don't worry about it again it'll all be fine right, right. And you got the polar opposite which are the people saying don't do that it's too high risk you know we're not interested in that Whereas an AI is going to try and be balanced where it can.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, yeah, that's super cool. It's, 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 it's cool. That that's um, that's actually useful in that way. Yeah. I think what it, what has been useful for me for is just kind of, you know, like you said, you, you kind of already had a sense of, Hey, we're thinking of going with this decision. I think before making decisions, the thing that always runs through my mind is like, okay, this seems pretty good, but are we missing anything? Are we, have, have we just like miss something really big and we're about to like go in this one direction. And so if you can just ask the AI, like, Hey you know. This is a situation. Like, what are the what are like the ten things we need to be aware of? If you look at that list and you're like, yeah, we've actually thought about all of those already, then you, you at least have some peace of mind of, of like, okay, we're not missing anything major. Like, let's go forward with this more confidently. Whereas otherwise, yeah, I think I think that's what we always might worry, particularly with decisions that are hard to reverse. So like, okay, have we have we considered like the whole space of options here? <laughs> you know,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's it. You know, I mean, you run a successful business, so yeah, your, your, level of stress and, you know, um, pressure when it comes to those decisions must be a lot bigger than mine, but yeah, no, I t- totally understand what you're saying. Yeah. I do totally appreciate that. But cool. Right. Well, this kind of leads me on to, to the next point. Um, you've touched on the, the, the large language model, models replacing SQL queries, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was something that, that you posted about recently, right? And and we've just been through that. But if, if I've understood you correctly from what you've just said, we're essentially saying that we're cutting out that manual piece, right? You know, I so think so. Yeah,
0: I think that's something.
1: Related, yeah. out with it instead. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. So let's let's move on a little bit to something that's not necessarily directly financial related, related but kind of piqued my interest. So oh, yeah. I've got to talk about your Twitter. Do right. okay. You you've got like, was it coming up to twenty two thousand followers or something like that?
0: Yeah, I, d- I don't really keep count, but yeah, something like oh no, I
1: don't keep it yeah, really count. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, is it good. Is, is that just in the time that you've been running
0: causal? Is that since since uni? Or um, yeah, I mean, I've had Twitter since like secondary school. I remember. I think I first signed up for Twitter back when the cool thing about Twitter was that like a bunch of celebrities were on there, and like you could like talk to these celebrities or something. And so I, I had this TV show I really liked, with Modern Family. Uh, and I was like, "Oh, cool! I can like follow the Modern Family actors on Those are Amazing!" And so, you know, I got got it when I was like 16 or 17. I didn't really tweet anything. Uh, I didn't use it much. Um, I think I, I I properly started using it probably maybe like five years ago now. Maybe like a year a year before we started the company. Um, yeah, I think just for started off with just kind of tech related stuff, and then I think the the kind of tech Twitter community has just kind of been yeah built up over the last sort of five six years quite a lot. Um, And yeah, it's just like, it's just a great place to hang out if you work in tech. Um, I will say that I think it used to be a lot more fun. I don't know if it's like algorithm changes uh, since Elon took over or whatever, but I do remember Twitter being like a lot more funny, a lot more entertaining. Whereas now there's just like a bunch of people arguing on my feed all the time. And yeah, yeah, I think I, 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 it feels like it's going downhill a little bit, but I'm still a big fan of Twitter. It's it, it's
1: great and, and from and, and everybody that's listening needs to follow Tamer on Twitter. Like, <laughs> it's, it's really good stuff. You've got a really good balance between the entertaining stuff and the and and the the, the more I kind of <laughs> I won't say boring, but the more you know, the more sort of business type stuff, I guess. Sure, sure, and, sure, sure, yeah. and that's that's why I saw that. So so the question was, you know, what's the probability that LNM interfaces will replace SQL queries in the next two years? Um, and then you've got like a 30% run response on, you know, less than, less than 25% or something like that, over yeah. 92 votes. So and right. I think, I think it's the way it's going. Um, but we'll have to see, right? Who knows?
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll see in the next couple of years.
1: Also on your Twitter, is that a Mazda six you've got with a personalized number play on it? yeah
0: someone sent me that picture i i it's not my own car that would be that would be pretty good so someone sent me that picture i was like okay that's pretty funny i'll send that as a yeah the number plate says causal um yeah so, sorry. i thought that would be a good conversation
1: a hashtag life goals i was expecting it my siren or something like that so when i was the badge, I, was a, I was a bit taken aback. but
0: yeah one day one day The
1: one that i'm looking at um uh, was the this is what the perfect and in, in, in inverted commas man looks like according to AI. And I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes for people uh, people that want to check it out. Um, but that is hilarious.
0: I appreciate um, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like he well, didn't do as well as I was expecting. I thought, uh, yeah, samuel Sam was actually in London uh, a couple of weeks ago. I think he's doing like a world tour at the moment. So he was doing some uh, talk at, uh, at UCL. Uh, and so I went to see him in person, um, which was quite interesting and yeah i think a few people uh, there were some posts around like you see all these kind of like kind of crappy articles from w- w- weird publications about oh ai is predicting the and there was a similar thing around like oh this is what the perfect man looks like with ai and so i thought you know might be funny to do a parody of that
1: yeah Spo- spoiler it's probably not what the perfect <laughs> I mean, he's
0: okay, but yeah. No offense to Sam.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's it's all good. So, uh, no, cool. So, the the last bit I wanted to to talk about, I guess, is um, it ties ties back to to that decision making piece, and then then I'll ask you the the last question that I always ask on these these podcasts about your favorite sort of tech, yeah. um, but. I, I I went on to your, your personal blog, and again, I, I don't know how long long um, ago it is that, that you've written on there. Um, have you stopped writing on there now?
0: I think, yeah, I think since starting the company, I just uh, haven't yeah I haven't really been making the time to write regularly. But uh, yeah, for a, maybe a year or two, I was doing it like once a week or every couple of weeks or something. Yeah, no, it's, it's good because there, there's like a graveyard of uh, the top of it. It says the
1: books that I bought in 2019 that didn't read. Um, yeah 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 i think a lot of people post
0: like lists of like oh this is what i did read yeah. <laughs> actually, i find that i buy a lot of books and then don't end up reading most of them yeah.
1: so so on there you've got atomic did you actually end up reading atomic habits i i i think i've skimmed atomic habits yeah yeah because yeah. because everybody says like if it's going to be one sort of like productivity book that they are going to recommend yeah yeah it's it's really
0: good yeah i think like, it's, it's helped a lot of people
1: I'm, I'm I'm guilty. I've, I've not read it myself, but I've got the the summaries from from many guys. Nice.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you need. So,
1: so, and this does relate to our conversation because you know when we talk about modeling, we talk about um, forecasting that sort of stuff. It does it does relate to decisions. Mm. And, and I apologise if if I'm absolutely um, pulling this to pieces. Which <laughs> you can interject, but the name of the blog post is called "Measure: A Mental Model for Decision Making." Mm -hmm. Um, headline You know, should you spend 30 pounds on a pair of jeans or 100 pounds? You know, should you get anti coating on your glasses? And I think a bit further down, there was the example of um, when you were buying a a bin, right? Yeah, 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 a trash can with with your mum, yeah. And you know, um, instinctively, you say, Right, well, I don't want to spend much on a bin, yeah, it's a bin, yes, yeah. (laughs) Logically, it says, Right, well, actually, it's in the middle of the room. You know, it's got to last years, otherwise I'm just going to end up replacing bins, and it's got to look half decent because you know people are going to see it all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. So Could you just walk us through? Because I was thinking a really interesting point on you know magnitude versus measure, the kind mm. of the inspiration behind that, and is that the sort of thing that's kind of informed your decision making now that you're the CEO of a company? I thought it'd be something that a little bit different and interesting to pitch brains on.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and thanks uh, thanks a lot for digging through the, the archives of my... Uh, <laughs> kind of like, no, 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 that's, that's all right. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, just to kind of ex- explain the concept, I think, you know, when we're making decisions, um, there's kind of two things that we need to keep in mind. Uh, the first is, like, you know, how, how valuable is, like, the thing that I'm getting, if you're buying something, for example. Uh, and then the second thing is, how frequently uh, am I actually going to be getting that value from it? So uh, on one extreme, you've got something like, you know, going out for like a really fancy, you know, Michelin star meal, right? It's it's going to be very expensive, but it's going to last, you know, a couple of hours max, you know, you're going to get uh, some value for maybe a couple of hours uh, and you might spend, you know, hundred pounds on that or 200 pounds. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have things where you almost don't even notice, the value that you're getting from them, uh, but you're using them really, really frequently. So something like this might be, you know, the quality of your mattress or your pillow or you know your toothbrush and you know, things like that that you're using really, really frequently. Um, and I think when typically when we make decisions, it's very easy to it's very easy to think about and kind of simulate the magnitude of the value that you're getting. You can think, oh, that's going to be an amazing meal. It's going to taste so good. You can all you know kind of feel it, um, but. Uh, that's only kind of one of these components that we need to be thinking about, and so the the point of blog post is basically to say, hey, I think we sort of systematically underestimate this other component, which is uh, the kind of frequency at which you get value from things. And actually, um, if we were really thinking about this, uh, you know, logically, rationally, however you want to put it, uh, I think we'd be investing a lot more in sort of the the boring things that give us a small amount of value very frequently over a long period of time. Uh, and so, you know, most people, if they were going out to uh, you know, let's say like a sort of a really special occasion, maybe it's like an anniversary or a birthday meal or something, you know, you might spend like a hundred pounds, maybe more on, on this meal. And you think, oh yeah, this is a special occasion. Like this is, this is great. This is worth it. It's a great meal. Um, uh, but I think a lot of people, if, uh, you know, they were thinking about spending a hundred pounds on a kitchen bin or, you know, something kind of boring like that, it would seem like a lot of money, like a hundred pounds for a toaster. Really? You can get toasters for 20 quid, <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, but actually like, uh, you know, if you have if you have toast every morning, you're going to be using that toast every single day. It's probably going to last five or 10 years. Um, if it's a nice experience, if it makes the toast better, it's probably a lot better to spend a hundred pounds on that toaster than it is to spend a hundred pounds on that uh, sort of anniversary meal. Uh, and so, yeah, the post were just talking about, you know, what are these things that we might be undervaluing? Um, and I think, yeah, you know, boring kitchen objects like uh, bins and toasters is one of them. Um, I think... Um, I think investing in ourselves is another one. So things like, you know, it might seem like a lot of money uh, to spend like hundred pounds a month on uh, you know getting a fancy gym subscription or something, or maybe like 200 pounds a month on a personal trainer, right? feels like a lot of money uh, to spend on those things. But if you think about how important your health is, you're not just getting the value of that personal trainer in that half an hour session, or one hour session once a week, you're getting the value in the rest of your life where you're actually healthier, your body <laughs> feels better, works better. Um, and so I think there's lots of things like that where we're probably underestimating, um, you know, these the, the sort of less less interesting uh, but more frequent, more kind of long term uh, bits of value. Um, and then to to your second question, I think within the context of running a company, I think when we're developing the product, this is definitely something that we think about around like, hey, is this is this part of the product? Is, is this feature something that's really high measure? Like, is it something users kind of using? you know, all the time when they're using the product? Or is it, you know, tucked away somewhere where, you know, it's it's still like an important thing, but they're not going to be interacting with it on a daily basis. And just making sure that we really get the details right on those very high measure things. Uh, so, you know, things like the initial onboarding flow of the product, right? You might have like fifty, hundred people signing up for the products every day, every single day, you know, that onboarding flow is being used by all of these different people. Um, and maybe only like one person gets to the very end where you have some like more advanced feature. And so, um, yeah, I think we definitely try and invest a lot in the, the high measure parts of the products just to make sure uh, those are a really good experience.
1: It's a really interesting point, actually. So what what can we invest in that essentially has the, the greatest impact over... over yeah, Europe? yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and we can, um, right, I'm going to add to my set of questions. I think we're still within time. Yeah, yeah sure. That's all right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, because I want to move on to, to talking about ROI because hmm. uh, I, I speak with a lot of people that know that they need to change, but they really struggle to to generate a business case, right? So, so maybe right. we can move on to that in a second, but it's got me thinking because... You know, and and people are saying you know the great resignation is over and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, no, I I get that, but there's still a, there's still a huge turnover of of people just in in general, right? It, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it is still very tricky retaining good people, right? So if we're thinking in terms of high measure tasks, I mean, you talking about software onboarding, made me immediately thinking about employee onboarding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is, is the quality of your employee onboarding directly related to whether they make it past probation, you know, mm, they yeah. are, you know, staying with you for however many years, you know, yeah. is their personal development plan something that you're investing enough time in for people to feel like they're part of the culture? You yeah. yeah. And, you yeah. know, again, every company's different, but when everybody's so busy and pulled from pillar to post, you know, some sometimes people will skimp on the HR bits because it's mm. just more admin. Do you see what yeah. I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah.
1: Is, is there a way that we can flip that to to think of that more logically? But I suppose you could then also apply that principle to, you know, systems and process, you know, what, what, you know, it comes back to eighty twenty. I guess, you know, what's, what's the part of our process that generates the most results, you mm. know, um, not just in the short term, but over time, you know, and how, how do we double down on that? Right. Yeah. So I think, again, it just comes back to, to better questions people can ask themselves about, you know, what are we investing in and, and how does that reflect in our time? But yeah. a lot of people also see these, this investment decisions as kind of um, financially based, you know, so, sure. so we've got, we've got big capex investment. We need to build it into the forecast, you know, how's that, how's that going to you know reflect? But I think people often forget about the time element because they are so immersed in their day to day. So again, a, another question for you before we talk about ROI is obviously time is a commodity. How, how do you approach that in terms of, your time-based decisions and what what to prioritize over other stuff.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. I'd say we're actually at a stage of the company where most of the, you know, the vast majority of the investments that we're making are time investments rather than uh, sort of dollar investments. Obviously, when you're hiring people, you kind of think about, okay, how much will we be paying this person over the course of a year? You know, what value do we think they'd be bringing in? Uh, There is a bit of that. But I think the vast majority of the decisions we make are like, hey, should we spend time on X or Y? And we have limited people, limited resources, and we have to try and make sure we do that really well. Um, I don't know if we have any sort of specific frameworks or kind of tricks that we use. I mean, I think we just try and make sure that, hey, whatever whatever we're doing right now should be kind of the highest impact thing we could be doing. Um, and if I think we're reasonably relaxed about sort of cutting projects that we now feel like, okay, this doesn't really make sense or there's actually something better we could be working on. Um, whereas I think it can be a bit of a trap to get sort of stuck in, you know, oh, well, like two months ago we said we'd like to do this thing or like, oh yeah, I said I'd like meet with this person uh, because we, we were working on that thing, but actually now we're not working on it. Um, yeah, I think just like constantly evaluating and reassessing, hey, what do I think is the highest impact thing I could be doing you know, across all, all the teams, across all the people in the company? Um, that's just yeah something we try and do. And I think on a, on a personal level, um, yeah, I try and sort of I think there's definitely be- better weeks and worse weeks for this, but kind of at the start of the week, look at my calendar and see like, okay, like what what's the most useful thing I can do this week uh, for the company? And are all the meetings in my calendar actually aligned towards that thing? Or am I doing like a bunch of stuff that isn't that and actually I can postpone it or actually just cancel, cancel it know, yeah, things like that.
1: It's, um, and again, I, I'm guilty of not doing that. <laughs> yeah. T- turn up on a Monday morning, immediately get swept into the to-do list. and Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to, yeah. Um, uh, absolutely. You know, no, nobody's perfect. So we can't beat ourselves up too, too much, I guess.
0: But, <laughs> yeah. sure. Um,
1: but that, I guess, that that's when it comes into and this 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 relates to what what we can talk about with ROI because I posted about it a few weeks ago because it, it only takes a small step to free up a bit of time that then enables you to free up more time yeah. and and you know it's, it's it's the whole principle of compound interest right you know yeah. you need to invest a little bit and continue doing that to then reap the bigger rewards in the yeah. end yeah. so when I speak with with people, I'd, I'd, you know, with a laser focus, I say, look, you know, what's the goal and what's stopping you from doing that? Where's most okay. of the time that's not useful happening, right? You know, and you only need to start with freeing up an hour or two a week Yeah, yeah. and repurpose that time with a view of then freeing up another hour or two. Do you, do you see what I mean? And yeah, I, yeah. that's what some people sometimes miss when they're building a business case or deciding whether or not to invest in tools, because the immediate thought is, you know, I can't take on another system, right? I'm, yeah. I'm overloaded as it is, right? Mm. I can't mm. think about another process, but first, what process can you eliminate? And you, you, you alluded to it there, you know, are there any projects that we just need to scrap completely? Yeah. yeah. So what projects do we need to scrap to free up time for the things that are then going to allow us to free up more time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is that, is that the way that you look at it? And for people that are looking to, to maybe look at the ROI from from modeling tools and similar, is it time saved? Or, I mean, I, I come up that I, I grew up in the RP background, so you know, there's cost reduction percentages. There's all sorts right. of things in terms of say, saving uh, numbers. Yeah. I'm to employ more people. What, how do you tend to think about that? Not just from causal's perspective, but also from your own internals. How do we justify the return from something?
0: Yeah, I think I think time savings is is often kind of the most tangible thing where you can you can basically put like a number on it, and you know depending on how you value your time, you can put like a dollar value on. Hey, this this thing is worth this much to us in time savings. Um, I think the thing that that often misses, um, you know, related to what you're saying is that the extra time or you know like uh, in, in the context of something like causal or you know like a modeling or a forecasting tool. Um, you know, we have a bunch of features that might save teams like maybe a couple of days every month from not having to manually pull data from different systems, et cetera, and making it quicker to run scenarios and answer questions. So th- there's a very tangible time savings. I think the, the thing that gets missed from trying to be super quantitative about the ROI is that you can, you know, if if it's, say, 10 times faster to answer some financial question or to run some scenario, it can actually sort of qualitatively change the way you work with the rest of the business, you know, if people know if people know that oh okay, the finance team is going to say like three days to get get anything back to me if I ask them something, they will only go to the finance team when they have you know at least three days before they need to make a decision, and when it's something you know that, that they perceive as like hey, this is like really big, um, we need to like plan ahead and go to the finance team like a week in advance or something. Whereas if people know oh cool, I can actually go to the finance team with. Random stuff, whenever, and they can give answers. You know, basically in real time for most things. And if it's something deeper, then they'll they'll go away and take deeper. It'll actually kind of change the way that they work with the finance team or change that relationship completely. Um, and I think it's it, it's hard to put a dollar value on that, um, but I think intuitively it's like okay, that that seems like a much better place to be in the business where different business partners, different stakeholders. Can come to us and we can provide real-time answers most of the time. And then for bigger things, we have to go away and you know spend a few days and do some analysis.
1: It, it doesn't. To come back to a point there, it doesn't give you much time for the relationship piece if all you're doing when you sit in a meeting is analysing mm. data that doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a there's a big argument to be said that you know, as we spoke about earlier, get people in a room and get everybody involved in those decisions. Right, right. Can you improve the the way that the business works in general. Right. But as you say, it's, it's difficult to quantify that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I've seen in, in our business and, and with, with some of the, the, the companies that I work with as well is related to that side of things. It's, it's kind of staff satisfaction that's built into that as well. You know, so right. when you look at you know, younger generation of employees, right. You yeah. know Um, it's, it's the expectation nowadays, especially working remotely. Yeah. Um, And and I'm not, you know, doing a disservice to anybody who spent a life, you know, building financial models in Excel because, you know, Excel still exists, you know, and there's a, there's a business case for that. But I think there's a younger generation of people saying, right, well, I I don't want to build a spreadsheet. Mm. I just, I just wanted, I want to get on with the fun stuff. Sure. Yeah. And so from an employee satisfaction point of view, that retention piece might go up as well. You don't know, you can't say, it will. Yeah, exactly. And and as I say, from, from my experience, with the systems that we use now, we onboard new people and the feedback is we love the system. Yeah. It just works so well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's the stuff that is harder to quantify, but, you know, it's still, it's still there. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think there's there's always these sort of second and third order effects that can be kind of much greater than the really obvious ROI analysis that you might do. Mm. It's the
1: same with forecasting, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, you've got the third, second and third order effects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, um yeah it, it's we, we had another uh john uh, john coley uh built a, a tool called what if i which Another another model oh cool yeah yeah i think i've actually checked that out yeah 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 so so he's got i mean he's got background in visual effects and he started it because he wanted to get better with his own like personal finance
0: yeah budgeting so. yeah that kind of thing.
1: all along from there but um his view is, you know, you can, you can get rid of a, a single forecast or, a, you know, a single budget or whatever. And then you yeah. can work based on multiple scenarios. Right. You know, and right. I think this is, this is where we're, we're moving to. So, but no good. Right. So the question that I always ask, and, and again, we've had some, a, a selection of answers to this, but the, the podcast is called tech finance, right? Yeah. I'm a self-professed, product productivity slash app nerd, you know whatever you want to call me so i'm forever down on learning apps on my phone I'm, I'm forever trialing like bits of software on 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 you know wherever i can find it yeah so if you could pick a tool it doesn't have to be a software. it could be like a gadget you just can't say your smartphone because that's a yeah yeah <laughs> is there like a gadget piece of software or a tool that you just is irreplaceable that you couldn't live without
0: uh, I think for me, probably the biggest one is my. I mean, aside from obvious things like smartphone, AirPods, stuff like that, uh, I think that the thing I'm most happy with that I haven't sort of changed for the last like probably six, seven years now is the the razor that I use for shaving. <laughs> it's 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 called the, it's called the Philips One blade, and basically, I mean, it's just like an electric razor um it's quite it's quite nice on the skin but you can also adjust like the the closeness of the shave and so it has this like attachment where like if you just want to trim rather than kind of completely get rid of everything you can like set the set the length and and do that and then uh if you want to kind of do the edges or whatever i mean i do not really have a beard or anything i mostly just like get rid of all of it um but yeah it's just such a great experience i started using it in like 2016 or 15 or something still still using it um yeah i love it so, aside from obvious stuff like my phone and my AirPods, my Kindle, I think like this is, yeah, I was using it like yesterday. I was thinking, man, I actually haven't changed this product for so long. Like, usually I get newer versions of things or upgrade things or try different things. I haven't changed it in, in so long and I don't think I will.
1: That's an amazing answer. Oh,
0: I'll let you into a guilty secret. Oh,
1: yeah. I have not shaved myself <laughs> and for at least four months. Really? Wow. It looks pretty tidy for not having shaved. So, my beard doesn't grow quickly. Ah. Barber just does it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In two weeks and that that's it. You know? and by that's the, amazing. That it's done a bit unruly. I'm just back at the barber's again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do it as well, but I've not had to, to use it in, in a while. But yeah, no, I agree with nice. it. and it's a fantastic answer. I did say gadget. So, no, yeah, that is <laughs> It's fine. What are you
0: reading on your Kindle at the moment? i are reading. Oh, I always have a bunch of different books and depending on my mood, um, a mixture of like businessy type things. Uh, there's a sales book called uh, Just effing demo it or something. It's about <laughs> sales demos. Uh, and then uh, some like more philosophy type stuff, there's a book called After Virtue uh, that I'm working through at the moment on ethics, you know, and something to that effect. So uh, and there's always like a, a mixture. And depending on my mood uh, when I'm going to sleep, whether I want something like really cerebral where I have to like think about every paragraph or whether I want something easier, I'll kind of decide based on that.
1: Wow, okay. I I did philosophy at A level. Oh nice no, cool. Yeah, I didn't get good marks. I I, left, I loved Nietzsche and I loved um I loved a lot of the, the studies that we did. Mm. Um, but I just completely rubbished my dissertation.
0: Like you know, Yeah, I think like exams and yeah, getting marks is this kind of a different ballgame.
1: Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, so I, I did it on Plato's Republic. Apple, yeah. It wasn't particularly something I was particularly fired up by and Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah, very good marks, but no, I'm still into it. I mean, you know, um, yeah, no, it's, it's all good. So no, that's been been fabulous, Tim. I really appreciate your time. So um, before we leave, I mean, where, where can people find out more about you? I'll put your link to your Twitter and and your blog in the show notes. Is
0: well, else? Yeah, I think Twitter's the main one. Uh, and then obviously, uh, if uh, if any folks here use spreadsheets, when you do any financial modeling or planning, uh, do check out Causal uh, causal.app. Uh, you can actually, uh, type in casual.app, easy misspelling, uh, but it still redirects the right place. So you oh. can, maybe oh. the oh. easiest thing is to go on casual.app so you don't have to worry about the spelling. That's amazing.
1: And there's, I mean, there's, there's a free version of it, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Anyone can just sign up and start using it. And then, uh, if you want to use more advanced stuff uh, like data integrations, then you have to pay a bit of money.
1: You get like five, what is it? Five models and the free one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of limitations right now. Yeah. Perfect. And you're on LinkedIn too, right?
0: Yeah, LinkedIn, absolutely. uh, Definitely drop me a connection request if you're interested in staying in touch.
1: Perfect. All right, Timmy. Well, absolute pleasure. Really appreciate you coming on. Cool. Thanks so much, Adam. All the best. Bye.